All right, so silence. Three, two, one. We'll go in a second here. All right, Sean, so we got on Twitter, we told people we were going to be talking, and now we're pretending like this is a beginning conversation. We haven't been talking for like 10 minutes already. Well, uh, I think all podcasts are like that, right? Yeah. It's, 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 you pretend it's the beginning, even though it's actually started 10 yeah. minutes ago that the people will never actually hear. So I think we got everybody. We got to edit in some Skype music. They'd be like, hello? Hello? Are you there, Sean? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> it's one of the things I like. I don't know if you still listen or have listened to uh, Mike Myers' podcast. Like every single one starts with the Skype music, I think. Oh, nice. That's yeah. iconic for That's podcasters. Fun. Yeah, I started listening to, uh, he does one with uh, Tim. Rob Krieger, Kirk Spencer, and Joe Crawford, DC Everything Else podcast. So, um, you know, I talked to I've talked to Mike forever. Mike was one of the people that got me wanting to podcast in the first place. Uh, and then I've been talking to Rob Krieger for a long, long time also. But the other two guys, just like I don't know, somebody did the, like the Twitter, like you know, follow Friday or whatever the hell. Um, and so I started chatting with Kirk and Joe. And then I discovered they were all doing the same podcast. I was like, all right, I should listen to that. So I did. And it's just fun to hear people talk again. Had done done that in a long time. Listening to, uh, you know, highly produced podcasts like ESPN ones and listening to nice, dirty, uh, grungy. What was it Mike said? He said something about yeah, not editing his podcast. From the basement. Yeah, I was like, yeah, bring out <laughs> them grungy podcasts. things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. It's been a long time since we've talked on in, on a recording yeah, it really has. I was trying to remember because I know you did one of my first few podcast episodes with uh, myself and Martin talking about Valiant way back in the day. And I feel like you probably did at least a couple more with us various times. But I don't think we've ever podcasted about anything besides Valiant. I know. It's good to to branch out. I don't know if I've ever podcasted about anything other than Valiant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So laughs> I like other things, I swear. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's so funny because, like, Valiant is definitely what got me really into comics. It wasn't the only thing, but, like, it was the thing that pushed me over the edge and got me hooked at a time when I could have gone either way. Uh, it got me into podcasting. It got, before that, the only podcast I ever listened to was a fantasy football podcast that I still listen to. Um, and, yeah, it's just crazy how much Valiant did. And now I just really could care less about reading valiant anymore completely done with it but tell me about that like the beginning though you you said like like valiant got you into comics so like eight years ago were you not really reading comics i was a little bit so here's my quick comic history uh go back to when i was just out of high school Uh, i got into kevin smith and it was right when he started writing green arrow with phil hester doing the art and yeah. I started getting that comic. That's the first comic I ever got uh, was that series. And then he also wrote Daredevil. So I started picking that up, going to the comic shop on Wednesdays, you know, having to get back issues like you were so excited to see them up on the wall, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, of course, if you want a back issue, it's not really that hard to get a back issue. Uh, so that was my first little dabble. I read comics for a little bit and then I kind of overdid it on Kevin Smith. I was like, eh, I'm kind of done with this. And my first ever eBay usage was uh, selling those comics on eBay. Uh, years later, I meet my wife. Uh, I think we were married by the time, actually. So 
we were like she's an avid reader and she's a natural speed reader and I'm an avid reader and like I I am heavily into literature. Uh so like I was reading you know heavy books. Like Dostoevsky and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, uh, Brothers Karamazov okay. was the book that like showed me I could read anything after reading that like 1200 page Russian novel. Um and then I read Ulysses and you know Ulysses was like hold my beer to Dostoevsky. Um <laughs> But uh, so I was reading stuff like that, and uh, we were going off this list. It was Time Magazine's 100 Greatest Novels of the 20th Century, and a comic was on there, The Watchmen. So my wife finally, after we pounded through the majority of this list of 100 books, she's like, we should read this. So I was like, "Ah, I guess. Okay, fine. We'll get this comic book. So we got it, and I read it, and I actually really liked it. Um, I love telling that story to some people because they go like, you got into comics because of Watchmen? That's the last thing I would give somebody to get them into comics. I was like, yep. Yeah, if somebody's into literature, give them Watchmen if you want them to, uh, to you know, give comics a shot. Uh, I think that makes sense, right? It's it's probably one of the more liter... What's the word? Literature-esque. Yeah. Liter- I want to say literal, but that's... Literary, that, yeah. thank you, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. very heavy, very dense. Um, I mean, there's so much prose in it, you know, none, you know, it, it's heavy, yeah. It's definitely heavy. So, like, I enjoyed that. And then after I read that, I wanted to read more comics, but I really didn't want to read superheroes. I had no interest in superheroes. Uh, I did read like Dark Knight uh, because that was like highly lauded. Um, Sandman was really what kind of kept me into it for a while. Uh, I remembered a friend of mine had liked Sandman, so I checked it out and I read through all of Sandman. I had bought, I think there were like sixteen graphic novels or something like that, and I had bought almost all of them. And by this time, it's getting close to when my wife and I, she's from Maine, I was from California. We met and got married out there. And we were getting ready to leave California and move to Maine because we wanted to start a family and didn't want to start a family in California because it's real expensive and people suck. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm almost a decade out of that world. But uh, so I, I had um, somebody who worked for me that was – really into Sandman, but somebody had stolen their graphic novel collection. So I told them, if you buy the last like two or three that I hadn't read and let me read them, I'll give you the rest of my collection of them. So I did that, read all of Sandman, gave them to her, and you know she was happy, and I was happy. Uh, and then we moved to Maine, and I kind of figured I was done reading comics. But then getting out to Maine, uh, work was really stressful for a while. I, I, I took over a very poorly ran store, and... Uh, I was so stressed out I couldn't focus on reading books. Like it was just too much to focus on. So like I, reading book books. Yeah, like exactly. Word, yeah. Word, okay. Yeah. Yeah, reading. Uh, and at that time I actually I did read quite a few after moving, but then like as the weight of what I was doing got too much, like I was reading a lot of um, a lot of sports biographies, like uh, Ken Dryden's The Game. I was reading like Mick Foley's books, uh, which are really good uh, about his you know wrestling career stuff like that. Um, I read the book of basketball by Bill Simmons, which is like the Bible, but about basketball. Um, so I did read quite a few books for a while, but then after a while, just the stress started getting to me. And so I started dabbling in comics. I started with Batman because I didn't really know what to read, but Batman was kind of enticing, that kind of darker, grittier, you know, seemed like something. Uh, so I, I read Batman for a while, uh, and then I started reading some X-Men uh, and that was like before Avengers vs. X-Men to give you a little context of time. It was uh, right after Schism when they launched uh, 
the Uncanny X-Men that was read, led by uh, Scott, and then Wolverine and the X-Men that was, you know, Wolverine, like, running the school. Oh, uh, yeah. Those that's, like, right when I too. dropped... I, I, that's, like, right after I, I dropped out of X-Men. And I could see that, because they ended the yeah. long, long run, right? Like, not, bef- yeah. not long before that. Um, I think they had a little bit of a series in between or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but it, those were actually both pretty good comics. Like, uh, they were enjoyable to read. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, and then, like, you know, AVX was coming, so they had, like, guides showing you all these graphic novels to read to build up the story. And I read a ton of that stuff, and I really enjoyed it. But then I was, you know, okay, what else do I expand to? Like, I didn't know what else to read. Um, and it can be kind of hard to get into stuff sometimes. Uh, there was one comic shop I went into one time trying to find something new. And this was a bad comic shop experience. I go and I say, hey, I'm reading Batman. I'm reading the X-Men. I want to try reading something different, something that's not just, you know, like superhero stuff. And the guys working there literally started listing off everything, like book after book. You got to read this. 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 I grabbed a couple of, like, I think Image was doing some of those, like, you know, dollar debut issues. So I grabbed a few things. But I never went back to that store for for new things because they weren't listening to me. They weren't trying to actually, like, help me find a couple of things that would be good. They were showing off. They were, you know, well, you have to read everything, you know. Kind of like Valiant Pans would do. Cough, cough. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> so then um, my, my wife worked in downtown Portland. And she was very into, like, what was going on with local businesses. And there was a local comic shop there, Coast City Comics. Very awesome shop. Uh, and they were having a buy one, get one free on back issues sale. This is, like, about a month before Christmas. And so she says, hey, you should go check this out. Literally, my wife got me into comics multiple times. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That's so yeah. unnormal. <laughs> exactly. And she, she, like, I mean, she's read a little bit of stuff here and there, like, um... Fables was one that she stuck with for quite a bit. Um, I'd, I'd get her the graphic novels of, of Fables. Um, but she's like, you got to go check this store out. So I go there and I, I go in and Tristan, the owner, and this other guy, Jarrett, who uh, he worked there for a while. And now he's um, he's doing like he's writing his own comics. He's doing a lot of stuff at conventions like he's doing a lot of stuff in the comic industry on his own. Um, they were both there and I was like, I, you know, this is what I'm reading, but I want something different. I want something that's not superhero, just like I, but I don't know. So they rattle off a few things. Like I remember one of the things they recommended was punk rock Jesus. And I was like, that just didn't resonate with me title wise, let alone anything else. Um, mm-hmm. so like, yeah, not really interested in that. And then, uh, you know, they're saying other things like one of the things they said, and this is the other half of what kind of got me solidly into comics was, there's a new Ninja Turtles series. And I grew up loving the Ninja Turtles, but I never read comics. Like, I never read Ninja Turtle comics. So I was like, okay, that one's interesting me. What else you got, too? And one of the things they said was, oh, everything Valiant is putting out is good. So I, I was like, what the hell is Valiant? Because, like, I didn't know anything, you know? And uh, so at that time, they had the first four series, you know, Bloodshot, Harbinger, Exo, uh, and Archer, Archer and Armstrong. And yeah, sure. just looking at them... I grabbed Archer and Armstrong, and I grabbed Bloodshot, because Bloodshot's like, hey, this just looks like fun action, so worst case scenario, it's just fun and stupid. And Archer and Armstrong, like, it just kind of uh, appealed to me a little bit more. And those were the first two I got. I went home and I read uh, the, I don't know how many issues I got, like maybe four of each or something like that. I went home and I read them all. I went back the next day before the sale ended, and I grabbed everything else they had from those two titles. Plus, I grabbed all the other TMNT that they had. Um... And that, that's what got me kind of hooked. And then 
that was all I was reading from Valiant for a while. And then the Harbinger Wars crossover between Bloodshot and Harbinger was coming. So I picked up everything I had missed on Harbinger and, and read all that. And then uh, after that was so good, and now it's like three quarters of it had me sold, I, I, I went on eBay and I picked up like the first 19 issues of EXO for like 30 bucks or something like that. So I jumped into EXO and that was just kind of like... I wasn't quite a hundred percent all in yet on Valiant there, but I was pretty close. Like I read some Shadow Man, and then I dropped it, and then you know, read some Quantum and Woody, and I dropped it. Um, but then at a certain point, I just was like, everything was so consistently good, even Shadow Man and Quantum and Woody, that I just got all in on it, and I was all in for a long time. And uh, you know, that begat a lot of other things. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, Valiant is what got me like hooked into comics. Because it was just, like, so exciting to be in the beginning of this new world like that. And I got to say, like, I've been into comics for quite a while since then. And I don't think anything has been able to compare to it. There's some things that can compare in different ways. Like, a lot of my friends got really into Aftershock when they started up. It didn't hit mm-hmm. me the same way. But it also, like, uh, even though, like, they're good comics. They're just, you know, a lot of them weren't quite for me. Um, but it wasn't like this shared world thing, you know, it wasn't this like, you know, this, this bigger idea. Um, and you could definitely see the, the love that was put into Valiant for a long time. And eventually that's kind of what slowly got me out of Valiant is when the love was dwindling and the trying to, you know, get movie deals done, got in the way pretty much. So, mm. yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Cause I feel like lightning struck twice with Valiant like both in the 90s and in uh, like the early 2000s, because that's how it was in the early 90s. It felt like exciting to be part of this like new thing that felt there was so much energy and passion with it. And then the same thing happened back in 2012 (laughs) when it started up. Right. So is like that is rare. I know you feel what you're saying, because like I feel like I've tried to capture that high again. Yep. Like several times right I, I was trying to recapture the high of getting into valiant in the 90s and then it actually happened again in 2012 2013 14 15 like then with the valiant again and like that was really exciting but it's it's really rare yeah and i think it kind of goes to show too that things can only be so sustainable uh you know like for me with valiant I never had a character that I loved. It's like, that's my character, you know? Like, I like, there were a lot of characters I liked and stuff. And I guess if I had to choose, I'd probably say Archer and Armstrong. Because uh, there's there's things that kind of separate them from the others for me, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's Ninja Turtles. Like, that's my, th- those are my characters that I love. And what, what kind of pulled me out of, like, kind of dwindling in comics again a little bit. Like, one, I always had Ninja Turtles, which, when you love a property like that, the thing is, is the the comics don't even have to be the best. Like, as long as they're okay, you're happy as can be. You know, like, I love Ninja Turtles. The comics don't have to be, like, you know, touching literature status. They just have Mm -hmm. to not suck, and I'll be happy. That's pretty much it, you know. Decent art, decent writing, I'm good. You know, and there's so many like that. G.I. Joe, uh, Transformers, like any of those properties, like that's all you need. You just need it to be enjoyable and enjoy it because you loved it before. So anything, anything that is from an 80s toy property. Exactly. We, we are the yeah. age that uh, that's exactly what we need. Uh, I know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, getting into X-Men. So I like, you know, I'd always been interested in X-Men. Like I, I grew up watching the cartoon, even though I didn't read the comics and I still... I'm happy that I did not 
try to get into 90s comics because I still look at 90s comics like what was popular. I'm really glad I avoided that. Like, there's a lot of great 90s comics, don't get me wrong. And now that I'm getting into X-Men, like, I'm actually just getting close to the point of hitting the 90s in my reading. And I know that there's going to be some good stuff for at least a while. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I've, I've seen enough of the covers that I know it doesn't get so good for a while, too. But uh, getting into the X-Men is really... So, like, I had never been good at reading old comics. Like, going back to... I mean, X-Men started the... Well, the relaunch, you know, uh, Giant Size in 94. That was, like, late 70s. And reading comics from the late 70s when you're used to reading modern comics is hard. Like, that's work. It's jarring. Yeah. Yeah. So I had picked up... Uh, the comic shop that I, I went to by where I live now that actually closed down earlier this year, he had four used uh, essential X-Men trade paperbacks, like the black and white cheap paper, yep. you know, like really affordable. Oh, yeah, I had a bunch of those, yeah. And they were like a few bucks each, so I grabbed them all. It was like four volumes of it. And I read through a lot of the first volume, and I ended up uh, signing up for Marvel Unlimited so I could read it in color instead, and I, I sent them off to a friend. Uh and but they, they it got me like I finally broke loose reading the X Men doing that so like I I got into the rhythm of reading those older comics I grew to appreciate the differences um, I really loved the art like now the the nuances with art like the there's a different challenge with art back then where clarity wasn't what it is nowadays you know uh, working mm-hmm. with the different mediums and the the paper they had to print on you know they couldn't even try to draw super clear because the paper would just ruin it because the paper wasn't this like glossy stuff that we have nowadays. But getting into that, like that's what really has me hooked in comics in a different way where I, I appreciate comics on a lot of different levels. Now that opened up something big that, uh, man, like character wise, X-Men are the, the, the first character since Ninja Turtles that like, I love those characters. And, you know, going back to Giant Size was awesome because there were so many great characters introduced in it. You know, it wasn't Wolverine's first comic, but it was like his third or something like that. Like he only had the second second. Just, well, I mean, if you count his cameo in 180, I guess it's his third. Yeah. But he basically he just appeared in that one issue of Hulk. And it's and really then, expensive, though, so it yeah. counts. <laughs> yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> that's what I was thinking, though, was like the two issues of Hulk. And then so like but this was like his first appearance after that uh, storm. Nightcrawler, you mm-hmm. know, among others, of course. But like, I loved Nightcrawler, and I was intrigued by Storm. And I gotta say, like, reading Storm, back like Claremont Storm, Storm is absolutely one of my favorites. Reading Storm, you know, like pe- post Claremont, nobody has made her as interesting as Claremont did. I, I was kind of thinking about this the other day about like who is my favorite X Man, mm. and I think it might be Storm. And I was just kind of going through like who who I like to see in a story most and when they're written well, who I really, really like to read their stories the most. And it's it's Storm. Yeah, like I was and it kind of surprised me because I always it's it's usually either Storm or Wolverine. Yeah, I, I think because before it was always Wolverine. Wolverine is what got me into X-Men. Uh, because I started reading Wolverine comics and then I realized, whoa, well, he's an X-Men too. And that has a bunch of other characters. Cool. So that's got to be like five times as good, right? As just Wolverine. So, yeah. Um, Same, like I've never tried to narrow it down to just one. Cause I think there's different reasons you like different characters, but mm-hmm. I, you know, of course I wasn't reading comics in the nineties. So I didn't go through the being over, um, saturated with Wolverine, like everybody that else did, you know, uh, 
because I, I didn't have to read everything. I, and I mean, obviously, he's been oversaturated my whole damn life. But if you don't choose to let yourself be oversaturated, it doesn't affect you. So, yeah. like, you know, Wolverine was always interesting to me. Storm grabbed me right away. I always liked Nightcrawler. I think character development-wise, like, now that you talk about it that way, I think Storm and Wolverine separate out more from Nightcrawler. Where Nightcrawler is just, like, he's really easy to love. He's a fun character. He's very um, dynamic in appearance. Um, his, you know, his abilities are very interesting. So just character-wise, he's super interesting. But as far as, like, character development... Storm and and Wolverine, I think, are just far far and away. And Wolverine, I think, often gets overlooked for that because of how oversaturated he's been. But you look at his development, where he starts off in you know Claremont getting his hands on the X Men, and he is just it drove me nuts because all the X Men basically just like talk crap about him all the time. They're always putting him down. They don't understand him at all. And they're not trying to, and it drove me nuts. Like part of it is like I want to root for Wolverine because like I know he's exciting. But, like, just as a person who is empathetic, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. These other people aren't even trying to understand Wolverine. They're just abusing him. Like, you're just you're just violent. You're just crass. And I loved, uh, as Chris Claremont started developing his character, and you saw more to him and saw that the reasons he did what he did was because he had all these experiences. He had been through stuff that nobody else had been through. And when he finally started putting them in their place, I loved it. I loved it so much when, you know, I, I can't remember the issue by any means. I got to, at some point, I like, I'm still working through my first read through of all this, but it, like, I'm already like, I want to go back and reread this, you know? I know, right? Yeah, but me too. There was an issue where he had to do something that was very difficult. He had to make a hard choice. And it was the one that everybody else assumes is easy of him just choosing the violent approach. But uh, he he did something that was difficult, and it kind of, like, when they realized the choice he had to make, he, he put them in their places. Like, you don't understand, like, what it's like to have to make these choices, and, like, I make the choices that nobody else has the courage to make, essentially, is what he was saying. Put them in their place, and I loved it. And I, I just, I love it when he does that. <sighs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, Wolverine is always been one of my favorite characters and I, I think he it's easy people just peg him as like a killing machine kind of character like oh he's just bloodthirsty with claws and th that's what he does is he goes nuts and he goes berserk but i think that what i always love about him is when the stories show that he has that inside of him always but he's always keeping a lid on it yeah and he's always struggling against that because if he doesn't manage himself he knows that that's what he will become. Yeah. And so he's always fighting against like, like that tendency to just, just, you know, have everything go red and go with violence. But because of it, he's, he's learned the, like the importance of violence and the importance of when to, to not be violent and how to use it, you know? And I, I think that when the Wolverine stories kind of focus more on that is when I really, really like him and just like he, how much he's, he's learned about that tendency, how much he, he works to kind of like tame the beast inside of him. And I, I love those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, uh, I love when you get to see him operate. It's like one of the things that like reading through all this, there's so many characters that I either just never thought that much of, or like some like rogue, for example, when you first get introduced to rogue, like you don't like her. But after time, you start to like her because you start to see her more as a as an individual with, you know, 
conflicts. You know, she has she has a, the choices she made in the past that she's always fighting with. She has to deal with the consequences of those. Um, and you like so I, I started after a while to love Rogue. And I love, uh, and I forget exactly the story, but when her and Wolverine have to, like, go on a mission together. And it's just great because he, like, he knows how to be exacting. But then she also knows how to just, like, do what has to happen to get stuff done, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I can't remember exactly what story it was. I want to say it was, uh, the, like, the beginning of Mutant Massacre or something like that. Could be. I, you know, it's it's, like, all a jumble to me. Yeah all of x-men is a jumble it's hard for me to remember like what happens where exactly because i've read so much of it now but i i had a kind of opposite experience with like rogue because the first issue of x-men i ever bought was 275 and that was when i was like 12 years old or something um so i already liked rogue because rogue by then has kind of gone through that transformation from villain to hero and she's just like one of the heroic members of the x-men so later then when i went back and read the earlier stuff i got to see that transition happen uh and and that was really neat but like in my mind i always thought oh yeah rogue is great she's one like one of the core x-men so i, yeah. I had that kind of weird unique experience yeah i mean I, I was introduced from the cartoons like in the cartoon she was a core x-men it's so, like you know my introduction was like uh, Wolverine, Cyclops, Gambit, Rogue, uh, Storm. So then I go back and I'm reading the Claremont stuff. I'm like, where are all the characters I like? And then I fall in love with all those characters. Then a little bit later, like they start like some some characters disappear and other ones are in there. Like, where are all the characters I like again? Then after a while, it's like, wait a minute, I, I kind of like this. Long I like these shot, ones. <laughs> uh, Psylocke, uh, Dazzler, like all the stuff that if I just looked at the list of names before, I would have been like, this is a crap team. This isn't what I want. And you get into it, and suddenly you realize that you love all these characters. Uh, Psylocke was one, for example. Like, I didn't know a damn thing about Psylocke. And then uh, reading more and more, uh, she became a more appealing character. Dazzler is interesting. I don't know if I like. I feel quite the same way about Dazzler as I do, you know, have grown in my thoughts about, like, Psylocke or Rogue. I think Rogue stands out more for that. Um, I'm just getting to the... I mean, I just read the first issue of Jubilee. Uh, so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing her character, you know, explored more. Uh, you always kind of are waiting. Oh, another one from the cartoon is Beast. Beast is like hmm. not in the X Men at all. In Claremont's no, run. he he he's he doesn't really come back to the X Men because around when in the era you're reading right now, he's an X Factor. So yeah. all of those OG X Men are there. They're doing their X Factor thing. Which is weird. Um, it's 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 weird when you're like just trying to pound through the X Men and then like uh, X Factor, X Force, like all those things start to happen and you're like, I don't know what's going on. And then you have a crossover and you're super lost. Suddenly, like Power Pack kids are playing with Wolverine and shit. It's just <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but those are that's awesome. Like Power Pack and Wolverine, they're kind of homies. <laughs> they go like way back. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. That was kind of a yeah. good issue too because Wolverine was like crazy berserker mode like you know not functioning and the power pack kids found them mm-hmm. but ah uh, it's such yeah. a good issue oh, i love that one to, to tangent uh t- i can't talk tangent off i i've had this day today like where you can't just say you just can't say words right yeah so of course i have to mm-hmm. talk a lot on a day like that to chant to tangent off of comics uh one of the things that you have been i don't know like we've been chatting about a little bit online like you started this thing sharing pictures of toys 
Yes. And I thought that yes, was cool. I totally did that. And uh, like I wanted to do it every day like you were doing, but so many days just got lost in the shuffle. Um, but yeah, so it's really fun to see that, though. And uh, the way I've approached collecting toys has, like, one rule that I typically have is uh, if it's not on clearance, I don't buy it. So that helps limit me. And there are some exceptions I've made, of course. But uh, I try to do that for most things. That way, they're just you can find so many cool things. It's like you know, really yeah, easy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, but like uh, going off of the X Men, so the Marvel. Uh, oh crap! What are they called? I'm blanking now. The Marvel figures. Legends. Yeah, Marvel Legends. Legends? There you go. I was gonna say Marvel yeah. Masterworks, and I was like, no, that's the the. That's, that's the com- yeah, that's the comics. <laughs> uh, the Marvel Legends. Uh, like I was always tempted by that, by them, and uh, finally. Finally, I was like, okay, if they come out with a Wolverine one, I'll get it. And they came out with a Wolverine one, and I would see it and be like, no, no, I don't, I don't need to buy it. I don't need to buy it. And I kept on putting it off. And finally, like, I was looking at it at GameStop, and it was like 25 bucks there. So, like, you know what? If I find it at Target, I'll get it. Because the Target is like 20 bucks, you know? So I found it at Target, mm-hmm. okay. so I finally got it. I got my first Marvel Legends was Wolverine. Since then, I, I believe I have 100% stuck to it. If it's not on sale, I don't get it. But I've slowly added to uh, to the collection of that. The one that I want to make an exception for that I keep on still like telling myself I don't need to is they have a two pack that is Juggernaut and Cyclops or not Cyclops, uh, Colossus. Oh, cool! That is awesome. I love Juggernaut. But so I, I've slowly, uh, yeah, I've sent you some of the pictures, obviously. But like I got Wolverine. Uh, I think the last one I found on clearance was Nightcrawler. That made me super happy because I I almost paid full price for Nightcrawler. I really wanted that one. Uh, I've gotten Captain Marvel was one that I was really happy to get. I loved the Captain Marvel movie. Absolutely loved it. So I was happy to get that. Um, got a few others. Thor. Uh, oh, what other ones? But yeah, so it's just like, to me, that's kind of a fun approach. Like kind of for me, for Ninja Turtles, like a lot of what you've shared has been G.I. Joe stuff. And yeah. for Ninja Turtles, which is, of course, like I said, my big thing. Um, I don't want to get multiples of the same character unless it's for, you know, some some reason or that just falls into my lap or whatever. So I try to get one. I try to get very differently designed toys. So, like, I have uh, a Michelangelo that is from the Batman TMNT cartoon crossover where he's dressed up in Batman's cowl. And it's just awesome because oh, cool. he's so happy. He's just so happy to be wearing Batman's <laughs> costume. <laughs> yeah, okay, that makes sense. So it's yeah. just like that was awesome. Uh, I need a Leonardo. Uh, the Raphael I got was they had these figures that were on sale at Target. They were these like kind of really bulky, like cool designs. So I, I grabbed one of those. Um, and uh, the Donatello I got was one of those uh, like, oh, I don't know. One of, it's one of the vinyl toys I, uh, that's like, all sparkly and from Japan. So, I don't know. I, I found it on clearance, so I got it, you know? But, uh, yeah. So, like, that's been fun. Like, I like slowly building my toy collection that way because I was too aggressively building it at one time, just, like, getting different things, and it became, like, a mix between a burden and then I discovered that there were some things I just didn't like as much as I thought I did, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like, with G.I. Joe, I've been all, all in with G.I. Joe. I've got, I mean, you've seen, like, pretty much all the pictures i take are like gi joes and it's all the modern figures i got really into those they started coming out in like 2007 and um i, I made a goal that i wanted the modern version of the original 13 gi joe characters yeah 
And then that grew to, okay, well, I want the modern version of all the G.I. Joe characters from 1982 to 1984. And then that grew to 1986. And I've uh, pretty much accomplished that. The only characters I don't have are characters that don't really exist in the modern form. And I have to make like my own custom versions of them. But like it's it's still kind of set a, a, a set goal. But like so, yeah, every, you, every day I've been putting up a post of uh, an action figure. And it's actually a friend of mine started this because uh, like two months ago, we were just texting each other back and forth. He's like, um, and we were talking about our action figures. He's like, well, what if we just like send each other a picture of our action figures every day? I was like, he's like, maybe that's stupid. I was like, well, yeah, it's, it's stupid, but it's also awesome. <laughs> so yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and um, so him and I just started sending each other the pictures of an action figure every day. And I was like, well, I'll put these up on Twitter too, because I'm doing this. Um, but what I like about it is I feel like it lets me interact with these action figures that I've got. Like, otherwise a lot of times they just end up like sitting in containers in my garage and it, it's not fun. Like, why am I even getting these things if I never actually do anything with them? So it's just kind of a fun way to actually do something with them and actually like interact with my collection. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's that's what I like is the ability that I'm actually doing something with this collection rather than just having it because it's it's kind of weird. I feel like so much of collecting oftentimes is like the the hunt for something. Yeah. But then once you get it, you just stick it in a box and it's like, okay, check that off the list. I'm done. I've got it. Yeah, you, so, you just get addicted to the hunt and you keep on chasing that feeling and you just keep on sticking things in a box. Yeah, but then why do why even own them, right? If, if, if that's... If the point of is just the acquiring them, it, it seems weird to take up all this space with the fruits of that, like for no other reason than you you know it's like once you get it, your your mission accomplished. It's just kind of strange. So it's it's been a fun way to actually like interact with these things that I've been uh, I don't know. I hate to say collecting for stuff like that. I feel like it's more of just acquiring, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like they're not collectibles, right? I mean, they're they're just toys. <laughs> like I'm just acquiring them, <laughs> so it it gives me some justification for all this time I've spent acquiring them over the years. Yeah, one of the things that I've uh, tried to do, and this kind of goes for everything, but I tried to, if I'm going to get something, I want it to be something that I purposefully enjoy relatively soon after getting it so like video games you know like if i get a video game i want to get a game if i'm going to play it soon if i'm not going to play it soon who cares if it's on sale it's going to be on sale again and you know i mean i i have this like compulsion to find deals so mm-hmm. it's it's you you can always find deals everywhere and then you can spend a lot of money on deals and then suddenly you wasted a ton of money that would have been you know better off like not being on your credit card or whatever um so, like, kind of having that mentality of, like, okay, if I'm going to buy a video game, when am I going to play it? And if I don't start playing it right away, why did I buy it, you know? Um, same thing with, like, if I get a book. Like, if I get a book, I want to start reading it right away. But then you get into things like, uh, you know, comic books where, you know, I go to the comic shop and get, like, 40 issues out of the dollar bin. It's not because that's the next 40 issues of comics I'm going to read. It's because I have a collecting goal, and I'm, like, I'm filling in, in holes in my collection, and I do want to read the stuff, but like it's so easy to like start to get this dissonance between those things. 
and mm-hmm. uh, before we bought our house, which we've been here, I think, just over four years now, I would collect things, and I just, like, I look so forward to when I had my own space, because, like, we lived in an apartment, and, you know, it's like my son had a room, we had a room, uh, you know, my wife was definitely not the type to let me put, like, cool geek crap up on the walls or anything, you know, like, it was crammed into a very small space, basically, like, that type of thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, I, I believe, isn't your wife into some pretty cool geeky crap? Uh, not like I am. I mean, sh- she likes Star Wars. Star Wars. Uh, Harry Potter, do I, do I recall that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you know, she's read the Harry Potter books and likes them. I, I, she's not, like... You know, she doesn't have like a, a Slytherin Coke in her closet or anything like that. Maybe she does. <laughs> um, yeah. So like I was She's always Slytherin with someone else. I, I need to know about this. <laughs> Got to find that cloak of invisibility. Um, yeah, exactly. But so uh, like we, we bought our house and one of the things that I had was like, I wanted some space to myself, you know, so like, my wife is an artist, so, like, we got a house where she has a room. Like, she has a proper room with a door, and uh, she actually has the upstairs room with a bathroom, so that way she could rinse out brushes and stuff like that conveniently. Uh, and me, I got the uh, the office without a door downstairs, so everybody in uh, the cat's litter boxes in my office for some reason, because that's where <laughs> things belong, apparently. Um, but still, like, I eventually got my space, but, like, before that, like, we were talking about Valiant. Do you remember the, uh, the Armor Hunters uh, interlocking covers? Oh yeah, yeah. Like yep, the I've got issues. I've got those sitting in a long box there. Yeah, so I got yeah. those because I was I just I wanted to put them up so bad. You know, and that's why I was collecting stuff like that. But then, before we ever got around to having the space for them, I lost the enthusiasm for that, you know? And I sold my collection twice. Once before we got our house to help us have extra money. And then I started collecting again. And I ended up selling my collection again when it just, like, things were tight. We needed some extra money. And I was really kind of, like, checking myself, like, okay, I don't need this. If I sell it, I can't spend on it. And then the one plus I could say about, like, selling a collection a couple of times like that is you really start to figure out what matters and what doesn't. And my approach to things is very different now. And if I spend much money on something, it's something I damn well know is going to maintain its value, like old X-Men comics. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, like, man, I love cheap stuff. I love, like, I, uh, I don't know if you've seen some of my recent Twitter posts, but, like, I got some old X-Men It's books. all, like, dollar books yeah. and stuff. I beat yeah. to hell like X Men fifty one, but it's a buck, so I'm happy as can be, you know. Um, yeah, it's like uh, you know, like I got those uh, Armor Hunter crossover connecting covers, whatever, uh, that weren't the easiest thing to get because I had to order them all through Midtown Comics. I didn't normally do that; it costs extra money. You're paying for shipping. I never got the use out of them. Like I ended up, you know, selling them to somebody for way less than I paid for them, basically. Um, yeah, so, like, it's good, like, you know, if you're, if you're into getting toys, like, get some enjoyment out of them, like, get them out, you gotta see them, you gotta do something with them, you know? If you just tuck them away, yeah. then it's not as fun. And, you know... Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to do, is, like, find ways to interact with the things I have, because otherwise, yeah, it just, it seems like a waste to, to spend all that time and that money on stuff if it's just only going in a box and like that's the only enjoyment i ever get is the fact that okay now it's in the box yeah and like ultimately we buy these things because the the silly enjoyment we get 
helps like alleviate the stresses we have in life. You know, it's just enjoyable. Like it doesn't have to be for a reason. You know, just enjoyable. And uh, one of the things that I did a while back was uh, a friend of mine got me into Usagi Yojimbo, who of course like has some crossover history with the Ninja Turtles. And mm-hmm. they came out with a Usagi toy in the Ninja Turtle line. Like, not the current... Well, even the current line, I guess, is, like, done. But, like, the, the last line before that. And I got one. And I just, like, stuck it in my truck. And I just had it, like, uh, hanging over, like, the thing I put my cell phone on, basically. So he was, like, my, uh, my, my truck rabbit, you know? And then they came out with a giant size figure. So I got a giant size Usagi. And I put that up in my my office room, you know, with my other little toy collection. So I had my truck rabbit, I had my office rabbit, and then my son, like when he was little, he didn't really care about Ninja Turtles, and he like he likes them fine now, but he like Minecraft is his big thing. Everything else, he kind of drifts in and out of some. Like he loves Minecraft. It he sounds loves Legos. like every kid ever, pretty much <laughs> right yeah. now. Yeah. So. uh... But then he got all enthusiastic about Ninja Turtles for a little bit. I pulled my old figures out uh, that I had saved from when I was a kid. And then one day he asks me about the Usagi figure. And I had it in my office then because I had taken it out of my truck at some point for some reason. Uh, so that way it's out of the way. I never put it back and he asked me about it. I said, you can have it if you'll play with it. So I gave it to him. You know, he plays with it some and, you know, and then he moves on to other stuff. But, like, it's... Um, I don't know, like, just doing that, like, silly little thing, throwing that in my truck. It's like, every day when I'm stressed out, I see that, like, action figure. Just, it makes you happy. Who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, silly, silly yeah. fun. But, yeah, that's what's so cool about your Twitter thing. Like, especially, obviously, like, the timing of when you started doing that, your friend started it up, was uh, all the COVID stuff going on. Everybody's all stressed out. Yeah, I think that's why we did it is because I, I think, I, I don't know how it was in Maine, but here in California, like, we got the lockdown came about pretty early it was like mid-march yeah when the okay nobody leave the. it it was really quick it went from like eh you know just like you know wash your hands and stuff and everything will be fine to like nobody can leave the house (laughs) in like a a week and a half it was really really quick here but it was uh just like right after that started that uh we started doing that because we were both just stuck inside all the time and working from home so it was just something to do yeah, and, you know, it was kind of the same thing. Like, I found different things like that. Uh, oh, man, I can't remember. Like, it was weird, like, being out here. You know, my family's all out there, so I was hearing different things. And then what we saw locally was different. And um, my wife was very good at uh, kind of following the news, but then also kind of reading the trends she saw and, like, people's posts. Like, you know, she has friends that, you know, of course now, like, over life have scattered across the country. So she could actually, like, see the trends coming our way to where she'd be like, um, you should go buy some extra toilet paper. We never ran out of toilet paper because she told me to buy extra toilet paper literally right before it got impossible to find toilet paper. Uh, mm, stuff like nice. That, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was weird. And, of course, when it got heavy here, I'm in a, a retail customer service type business. So it was like there was so much going on all the time. Uh, it, you know, it got hard to focus on anything. So like little things like that, like, you know, seeing people post about toys every day was a great, something to hold on to, something to focus on besides like everything else that was going on, you know? Yeah. It gave me just something fun to do. It's like, I'll, I, and, and it's like every weekend I'll have a time where it's like, oh, okay, I got to go take my, my pictures for the week. 
and I'll, I'll pull out some action figures and I'll kind of think about, okay, what can I do with them? That's going to be fun or look cool or, or something like that. And, uh, I, I feel like I've gotten more and more into it as time goes on. And like, I've pulled out flashlights and stuff to try to get different lighting <laughs> and stuff on them and, and do cool stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, but like, I've got a little He-Man figure sitting on my desk, which I've never owned a He-Man <laughs> since I was like five years old, but, uh, um, my buddy that I was sending pictures back and forth with, he's a, a huge fan of the um, Masters of the Universe Classics line. Do you, did you ever see that? It's like modern versions of all the original He-Man figures. No, I haven't and seen those. They look awesome. Like, I mean, because it's all just like the classic characters, but done in a little bit more of a modern sculpt with a little more modern uh, articulation. Nice. And I've never been a huge He-Man fan, but like after two weeks of seeing pictures of all these figures over and over, I was like, okay, th- those are those are pretty rad. Yeah. And I ended up ended up just like broke down and bought one. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's actually been bad. I've ended up with like six new action figures <laughs> that I never would have gotten before <laughs> because of this. It's fun because my wife, she's a few years older than me, and and you know she grew up with two brothers, and so like, um, growing up, like I never got into GI Joe, I never got into He Man, like Ninja Turtles was the thing that grabbed me, but to see her like have these um, these uh, kind of connections with like He Man, she had the uh, like. She loved creatures, like, you know, the, the He-Man had a lot of cool creatures. Like, for her, He-Man kind of, it piques her interest a little bit because of those, the different creatures that were involved. And, uh, you know, G.I. Joe, she didn't care about them. Like, her brothers played with G.I. Joe, so that still, like, you know, tickles a little bit of that nostalgia for her. So it's kind of like all different things for her, but because she's just a little bit older than I am, and she had two brothers that were into things, like, it's always kind of cool to see the things that kind of pique her interest. So... You know, she may not be particularly interested in G.I. Joe, but she'll talk about, like, the old cartoon. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where if I found, like, the old cartoon on DVD, she'd be kind of interested in checking it out some. We got our seven-year-old that, you know, we can show this stuff to. So it's always kind of cool when you, you know, even if it's not their, you know, the most important thing to your, your significant other. But, like, finding those things that kind of, like, tickle their fancy like that that you can get into... I, well, you know, a thing for me, and like this, this she couldn't give two craps about this. But like Star Wars, I've always wanted to get into Star Wars, and I just can't. Like I've tried, and I just can't. Oh no, you're you're breaking my heart, Paul. I know. And <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Like I I respect what the first trilogy did. You know, like I've watched them. I've enjoyed. Like I've enjoyed them. It's not that I haven't enjoyed it, but. So are are you too young to have seen any of them in the theater? Oh yeah, way too young. Okay, um, I wonder if that has something to do with a, it. A little bit. And I mean part of it too is like I uh cuz I don't think you're that much older than I am. You're a little bit older than I am, but not that much older than I am, but my family didn't get into Star Wars. I grew up watching like Indiana Jones. Uh so like Indiana Jones I love. You know, Back to the Future, <laughs> like I love those, which is I mean obviously it's a little bit after Star Wars, but still kind of like similar time frames. But Star yeah. Wars like I mean I'm sure my dad like saw it at some point, but like uh the sci-fi stuff just uh you know like it was never a part of my growing up. So I didn't have like somebody else influencing me with it. And then watching it myself it's like I I mean I've watched the original trilogy many times over my life. And I've enjoyed them, and I appreciate them, but I don't love them, you know? I watched when uh, 
they had the the re the re-releases of them where they remastered them you know like i actually saw at least one of those in the theater um and i remember my dad took me to see one he was kind of excited about it but um i was so excited about those yeah i mean my dad also yeah. like he grew up poor so like he grew up like anything like that was an extravagant so like uh he's still like he doesn't have hobbies really because he grew up like you couldn't afford hobbies you know mm. but uh mm-hmm. yeah so it's just all been kind of different but so star wars i've never really been able to get into so i always kind of have this little hope that my son will get into it enough that i can share it with him because i know that that's what i need is somebody to kind of open the door for it you know my wife doesn't give two shits about star wars she has watched all of star trek and I like I've watched some of it with her. I've tried to get into it, but I'm also it's not as good. Yeah, it's um, uh, some of it's good. Don't get me wrong. I like there's some Star Trek I really like a lot. Uh, not like Star Wars. A friend of mine is a he's a comic artist who's done a lot of uh, Star Trek stuff for IDW, J.K. Woodward. Um, so like I really wanted to get into Star Trek because of that, you know, and like. Once again, it's kind of like Star Wars for me, where like I can appreciate things about it, but I don't know. Like sci-fi is just not really my cup of tea when it's like straight up sci-fi like that, I guess. But yeah, it's like I always kind of hope, you know. It's like I, I want to get into Star Wars more. Um, All right, I've got a mission. Okay, I have a I have a mission to get you into Star Wars. Here we go. I guess we uh, have a reason to continue this podcast. Past- yeah, I know that this is going to be like a long-term <laughs> project. I think. <laughs> All right, so maybe for uh, for the next time, whenever the heck we do this again, if we do do it again, uh, I don't know. Should we start with uh, episode four? Should I watch the original Star Wars first and then you uh, make me talk about it? I don't know, but you you talked about your son getting into it. Um, but he's not. That's the thing. So like, don't get me wrong. He's he's yeah, not. but <laughs> how old is he? He's seven. I forget. He's Okay, seven. All right. Because he might be the right age for the Clone Wars cartoon show. We've dabbled in that a little bit. We've also watched some of the Lego Star Wars stuff a little bit. Okay. Because I wondered if if maybe that could be his avenue into it. And maybe you just get pulled along. Because that's, that's one of those series that it starts out very kind of like... It feels kind of childish and just whatever. But more and more the story gets like just a little bit better and better and richer and richer as it goes and it kind of builds upon itself and the history of what's come before until by the end it is just like packed with a ton of meaning and significance and uh it's it's kind of like it it can be one of those secret things to get somebody sucked into star wars where it seems like okay yeah it's just some like clones fighting some robots and some jedis flipping around and stuff (laughs) but then before you know it it's just like awesome and and great stories so we'll start with episode i don't know (laughs) okay all all right fair enough i (laughs) all right sounds good we'll get there i I have no qualms about getting into the cartoon i mean we have disney plus of course so we have uh you know access to all you've got it it all yeah. Uh, another thing I've been doing that, uh, you know, maybe we can dabble into at some point, but I've been uh, re-watching all the MCU movies from the beginning. I didn't get hooked in MCU until... Oh, it's a little hard to say. I want to say Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I went to see that in the theater with my cousin, and that was when mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? These movies are fun. I'm going to watch them regardless. 
Um, but I don't think I started watching them all as they came out until uh, Captain Marvel. So I started at the oh, beginning. Wow. I had seen so I saw the first two Iron Man movies in the theater with my aforementioned friend who joined the army. Uh, the first one we saw before he joined the army. The second one we saw between boot camp and him deploying. But then, like, I never saw Iron Man 3 until way later and stuff like that. So I've been going back through and watching all those. That's been really enjoyable. I de- I've definitely yeah, been I, a much bigger Marvel fan uh, since, you know, way back then. I was in those uh, from the beginning. And I remember the first Iron Man came out. Um, so, some of my, like, comic nerd friends... Um, up in San, the San Francisco area, every year on free comic book day, we would all get together and we'd go around to a few different comic shops and do like a comic book crawl. And then we'd usually watch a movie at the end of the day. And we saw that the first Iron Man together. And at the very end, when Nick Fury comes out and says, I need to tell you about the Avengers initiative, like all of our minds just exploded at once. Right. Because I was surrounded by like hardcore comic nerd geeks all watching this together. And we were just like all in right from the start. You know, I think at that what's point. so great is uh, seeing all of those things the first time didn't mean anything to me at all. Cause I didn't, I like, I didn't know any of it, you know? So like it meant nothing to me to see those, the, the post credit scenes or whatever. And watching mm-hmm. through again, I'm like, oh, cool, you know, oh, cool. And then you get to, um, I forget which movie it was, but the one before Avengers came out. And the post credit scene wasn't this little scene. It was just a freaking preview for Avengers. It was just an ad for, like, the next yeah. movie or something. And yeah. so, like, I saw that. And I was, you know, like, as I was going through, I was commenting on Twitter about it. And my cousin, Mike, uh, who lives out here in Maine, my wife's my wife's cousin, um he was like, oh, yeah, but you just, like, you, you don't understand, like, you know, if you were a fan, you were in the theater seeing it. It's like, I understand that, but I don't care because they've had this trend of having these subtle scenes in there, and then suddenly it's just a preview. Like, I don't care how much you pop for it. Like, watching it now after the fact, it's super lame because it's just Yeah, a that one was disappointing. But yeah, that one totally it's was. It's been cool. Yeah. I mean, like, when they first showed Thanos, I didn't know who Thanos was. So I was like, what is this? I don't know. You know? Oh, yeah. By that point, I had read, like, all the Thanos comics. So I was totally yeah. on board. So watching it again has been uh, been very cool. But, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely uh, I'll watch the first Star Wars, and we'll set up a time to, uh, to, to try a follow-up to this podcast here and, and see where it goes. Uh, awesome. So uh, I tweeted and to see if anybody had questions for our we got questions yeah, for, for our podcast that it. has no name and no no theme but i have questions um thank you my my few friends that can ask questions even without anything to ask questions about um so uh joe crawford who i mentioned he has some questions for us he has quite a few um last country album you'd recommend to anyone so i i'm confused does this mean like the the last country album like okay i've already recommended all the good ones so this is the only one left <laughs> is that where this we're is? down to garth brooks seven so you just have to listen to that it, in that case i'd say all of them because i am not a country music fan at all so i will say so i i, I can answer this one I'll, I'll take this one for us um I, I am definitely a believer that when people say i like all music but country and rap it means because you don't actually like anything um there's <laughs> a good country <laughs> Uh, I love Johnny Cash, and I would say, uh, 
Live at San Quentin was the first album I listened to of his, and uh, it his live prison albums were great because the studio recordings back then in like the '60s, there was less emotion in it because it was like very it was studio, it was very canned, you know, very. But hearing him record live in a prison, there was just so much character in it. And then aside from that, you jump to the uh, the American recordings that he did where Rick Rubin was producing it, and uh, American Three was it. Actually, that was the first I ever heard of Johnny Cash was American 3. Um, but American 4, where he covered Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, like, you just you can't beat his rendition of that song. So that's fantastic. Um, Willie Nelson, um, the Red-Headed Stranger album, very good, very good. Uh, my wife listens to, it's like one of her Pandora stations is Country Rock Radio. So it's a mix of country and rock, but the country is definitely a lot better than uh, most pop country would be. But uh, there's some stuff I like there, like uh, the Zac Brown band. So, I don't know. That's the best answer you're going to get to that question. It's funny you say that because I was going to say, well, if I had to go with a country album, it'd probably be like Johnny Cash, one of his like Live at Folsom or something like that <laughs> albums. So <laughs> you actually, I guess, in my mind, nailed it because that's <laughs> like pretty much both the only country album I know <laughs> and the only one I like. Yeah. So there we go. Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson. You can start there and then if you if you want to go further, you'll find where you want to go. That's for sure. Uh, uh, my wife is a fan, but I'm I am not. Oh, I grew up with my mom listening to the worst freaking country music. So. <laughs> oh man, I, I well, some of it wasn't the worst. Uh, just wasn't for me as a kid. But like a lot of Patsy Cline stuff like that. But then a lot of really really bad like pop '80s and '90s country music. Like uh, I don't know, Reba McIntyre, Achy Breaky Heart, yeah, Billy Ray Cyrus, mm-hmm. Garth Brooks. Um, next question, favorite black and white comic. Mm, this is, uh, I, there's two things I go to immediately for this. The first is going to be the original tick comics by Ben Edlund. Nice. Um, new England the comic other, there. That's right. Exactly. Only 12 issues, but all of them are so, so good. The other is, uh, Evan Dorkins stuff like, um, pirate core, and Hectic Planet, and uh, probably Milk and Cheese, above all. Those are my favorite black and white comics. He does something else. Like, I know his name, and I know I related to something that's more well-known, maybe? like The, uh, oh shoot, what's it called? Um, the thing about the, the animals living on the farm. Um, like, uh, da, 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 what, what was it? He, um... Beasts of Burden. That is one of the, there's something else too that I that is popping in my mind that I'm missing. But yeah, Beasts of Burden. That's actually where I got to know his name is uh, him him tweeting about that. Other people tweeting about it. Uh, for me, the answer is super obvious. TMNT. Yeah, like you can't go wrong. But I will say beyond that. So TMNT, of course, is uh, you know my heart of hearts with comics. But um, Terry Moore stuff, like all all of his stuff. Uh, he has some blood. You're right. Yeah, that's like, that's an obvious stuff. other choice. Um, yeah. I so I actually like when I uh, before we started properly recording the the part that will be edited out. I talked about how I briefly tried to do a solo podcast, um, and that stemmed from me do it trying to do a podcast where I would have uh, a variety of co-hosts. It was called 
comics in black and white uh, because I realized that a lot of my favorite comics were black and white. You know, Ninja Turtles, Terry Moore, like a lot of different stuff where it's, uh, you know, the, the creators put it out in black and white because, like, if you're creating everything on your own, like, adding color to it's a lot of work, right? So kind of very different creative stuff. Uh, one of the things that I was into for a brief period was Cerebus, and I decided not to continue to pursue that uh, as I learned more about Dave Sim and decided I didn't want any part of that. That's fair enough. But, uh, yeah, so anyways, Ninja Turtles, Terry Moore. Um, favorite rap lyricist? I'm not a huge rap fan. Man, you're so boring. Like, no rap, no country. I'm not, I'm, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I generally say there, there's only two types of music that I really don't like, and that's country and reggae. But I, I've I kind of dabble in rap here and there. I think I, I would say, as far as like lyricists go, it's probably either uh, Nas or. Um, Eminem. I do like Eminem's ability to rhyme and turn a phrase. So Eminem, uh, he has a lot of talent. I really hate him uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he made his career off of being, and this wasn't intended to be the main focus, but he was really misogynistic. Like he was really like violence towards women's and stuff like that like one of the things drives me nuts nowadays is when people say that they stan somebody which like being a stan means you're like a really really big fan right but stan comes from his song stan about a fan who's like basically a stalker which is that where it comes from yeah 100 percent and i had no idea i've always i've wondered where this stan thing i i thought it came from like like all all the like central Asian countries like Pakistan nope. and Kazakhstan, like we're uh, like this person stand Com- or that person stand. <laughs> and like I mean, I, okay. I can't say I've ever confirmed this because I don't know who started saying the damn thing. But like the the Eminem song "Stan," listen to it. It's a song where oh, it's he, it's awful. He ripped off Dido. I mean, like obviously, like I'm sure she got paid out of the ass for it. So good for her. But um, the best thing about the song was the hook, which was a Dido song, like. Not even like she's saying the hook for a song. He just took her chorus for that song. But um, it's all about a fan who is really, really, really obsessed. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's a very like terrible song when you actually like listen to yeah what the words are and what it's about. It's it's awful. And so the, this came up where I was talking with a. Uh, so when I first moved to Maine, one of the actually before I got really into comics, I got into sports card collecting. And at the the card shop I went to, because there's not exactly a lot of card shops around, there was this kid that worked there that was still in high school. But then like as I went there, like he grew up, he graduated, he went to college, and uh, like I became like Twitter and Facebook friends with him, whatever you know. And so like I kind of followed him more on Twitter. Like he's actually writing for uh, uh, sports paper, what you know, he's writing sports for a paper now or whatever. But um, as most people that aren't a Lakers fan, he hates Kobe. Uh, I'm a Lakers fan, so like I have the you know, C- Kobe's the guy I grew up with. But then there's mm-hmm. that that piece of you know the the rape accusation that he had, and like how do you deal with that as a fan? Because what happens is when your your favorite is one of the greatest of all times, 
and somebody can attack you for something that you can't defend without like going against your own morals like it just fucks you up basically and yeah. so it's mm-hmm. a really really shitty way to argue with somebody so we're talking on twitter about basketball he's attacking kobe he throws kobe under the bus for that again like you know what you know 20 years later almost and uh i'm like that's not a fair argument if we're talking about like who's the best like throwing something outside of the court isn't a fair argument and you know whatever the conversation goes on but then afterwards he says something about standing for lebron i was like whoa wait a minute like so kobe is a piece of trash because there was an accusation against him a long time ago but you are now like throwing out phrases based on a rapper who was incredibly misogynistic talking about killing women and he like just kind of like you like he didn't get that that was was where it came from and he was like oh man you know it just that phrase drives me nuts because people say it all the time and i mean most people aren't going to care anyways but um <laughs> like it comes from eminem who i don't have a ton of respect for because of uh you know because of of his starting points wow interesting i i had no idea about that yeah Sorry. I mean, yeah, I knew about his misogyny because, like, I've heard an Eminem album. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Um, and I, that's not why I like him. I like his his verbal, his ability to do verbal gymnastics. And, you know, so that's the nature of which I was yeah. kind of talking about what I like about oh, him. Oh, totally, yeah. His, 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 he has talent. Like, I saw him before he, yeah. was, uh, before he was mainstream on uh, Scribble Jam, which was, uh, like, a... DJ MC battle competition. Uh, a lot of like great underground guys have been part of it. One, and he was part of it, and in the finals of one. Um, so like he has a ton of uh, of talent. For me, favorite favorite rap lyricist. Like I've actually been thinking about this lately because a lot of the people that I would say like my uh, desire to listen to has maybe like ebbed a little bit because like I got really into underground hip hop and then got into a lot of old school stuff from that. Um, one of my favorites is just as far as lyricism and creativity would be Sage Francis. Um, but he's one where like he it's really interesting seeing him really move on to a different stage of his life. Uh, and like, I'm kind of realizing that a lot of the music that I love doesn't resonate the same way with me. Um, but I've been listening to the beastie boys a lot lately and for, I mean, obviously they're mainstream, but like learning about how creative they actually are has been pretty cool. Um, lyrically, I don't think they're necessarily like the most creative, but, uh, just all the whole picture with them. Like there's so much creativity that people would take for granted there. Um, yeah, sure. Like Nas is good. Uh, some of my favorites would be like, uh, tribe called quest Q tip basically wrote the lyrics, like not only for himself, but also for five dog. So like tribe called quest was basically all his lyrics. Um, I always love that uh, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, like, not only did he do his own stuff, but he ghost wrote for his cousin Ice Cube. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good uh, mm. a lot of good rap lyricists, and I think it's really about, um, you know, Talib Kweli, actually. So, like, um, Jay-Z had a line that, uh, I forget the whole line, but basically he said that, uh, like, if he was the best lyrically, he'd be Talib Kweli. And uh, listening to Tolib Kweli's lyrics, um, like he has a lot of uh, like a lot of depth to his lyrics, but like his flow is uh, like he he's good. 
my favorite Talib Kweli song is um it's from oh gosh what I'm gonna blank now on the name but uh, it was an album that he did with a producer and so like the album is under like the group name um and I'm blanking on it at the moment but it's actually the like a hidden track um I'll have to look it up and I'll, I'll tell you about it later but uh it's like going through all these different generations of uh of African Americans and like what they had to deal with with racism and stuff like that, and just the song was so amazing the way he he did the whole thing and just it fantastic. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, cool. Next question is Native Tongue Dream Team. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to go back to that question later. I got I got to look up all who are in the native tongues and get back to that. That's another rap question. So. Mm. Okay, I was like, what native? T- I don't even know what you're talking about here. So. I think I got to do right. some research on that one. Uh, last, uh, yeah, I'm going to call a, a pass on that one. <laughs> last indie book you read. Uh, this is this is interesting. Like, I guess this makes me ask, well, what's an indie book? Yeah, it's hard nowadays, right. isn't it? Right. Is like, are image books indie books? Yeah. I, I would argue uh, no. Uh, right? Yeah. Neither would I, right? It's, it's hard to call an image book an indie book to me uh are vault comics indie books yeah it's really hard to say like is is indie saying anything that's not big to publisher you know is image big enough like you know i don't think really is uh is indie like uh creator owned i don't know it's kind of hard to say what exactly is indie um so I'll, i'll i'll work i'll work from biggest to smallest then and you can decide for yourself choose your own answer if if it's uh if image counts then it's uh um wicked and the divine i um, couldn't get into that yeah i read i read like the first trade and i'm kind of like mm, yeah it's it's entertaining but i haven't finished it so that says that if vaults counts then i read uh vagrant queen and if that doesn't count, and if it has to be like a creator-owned, like barely thing, it's um, going to be Pirate Core by Evan Dorkin. <laughs> I picked up those again recent, fairly recently. Yeah. So what about you? Last indie book you read? I don't know if I have a good answer to that because the way I read comics, I just read whatever the hell I feel like, and I don't think that much about it. And then, um, like the whole indie thing has been, you know what? I'm going to say that the last thing I could feel confident in saying is is real indie and that I really liked and wasn't just something that I read because it came across my lap is uh, Terry Moore. And with him, I mean, the most recent thing he published that I read was uh, Motor Girl that I really enjoyed. Um, I haven't read five years yet, and the reason for that is I want to read through all of SIP, which I'm working on. I have it all digitally, so I'm working on that. And I'll get through through all his old SIP stuff and then get through like the most recent thing he did, then I'll read five years. But I really like Terry Moore. Rachel Rising is what hooked me on Terry Moore. I got it on a Comixology sale and loved it. And um, oh. if you listen to any of the Nerdy Legion podcast, I feel pretty confident in saying that almost everybody on there got into Terry Moore because of me, with the exception of, you know, I take that back, maybe 50-50. Um, because some of the guys there actually like were in a Terry Moore way before I was. So I, I take that back. I'm not going to take credit for all that, but some of those guys, I definitely got into Terry Moore. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of those books that I, I found with strangers in paradise. When I first was like getting back into comics in the early two thousands, that was, um, getting towards like the middle to end of its run. 
and I went back and I got like the trades of the early issues, and I, I thought it was great. That is a fantastic series. Yeah, it is so long that it definitely has its uh, interesting, you know, arcs and parabolas and whatever. But um, definitely good. I like I I think I've liked the more concise stuff in ways, but like the first collection of uh strangers in paradise was fantastic and then like there'll be some that lose me a little bit and then it pulls me right back in it's just good stuff like it's good to see so you know to go to 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 indie and i don't know if you'd exactly call this indie but um usagi ojimbo stan sakai like i mean he's being published on idw before that was dark horse but like he's been yeah, doing his own indie. book like you know every aspect of the book until like now with idw he's not doing the coloring but I love Usagi Ojimbo, and I've been reading Usagi Ojimbo for a long time, thanks to uh, to a friend of mine, Kathan, who got me into it. All right, uh, favorite Bronze Age Marvel or DC book? I mean, this is easy. I think X Men, right? If that counts as, as Bronze Age, it's towards the end of the Bronze Age, but I I think it's it squeaks in there. Yeah, if, if that counts, Slam Dunk X Men for sure. Um, and I'm kind of yeah. dabbling, like, I guess, like, the only other thing I could say that I might be starting to dabble on, really, in Bronze Age would be Avengers. I probably have some issues of various stuff. Does Daredevil go back to Bronze Age? Like, maybe Daredevil a little bit, but... It does, but it didn't really hit, like, become Daredevil, you know, that that we, I think, would, would know and love about Daredevil until, like, the 80s. When Frank Miller hopped in there, yeah, uh, I think Bronze Age Daredevil is just kind of like another kind of like, superhero. Kind of like Bronze Age X Men before Chris Claremont got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think if I had to do another runner-up, it might be the Green Lantern stuff, the um, Neil Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill stuff. Yeah, I, so I need to get into more DC stuff from that era. Um, DC has been harder are, for me. Are you sure? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I will. I will spread that blanket out wider and say I. I need to try more DC stuff uh, because aside from Batman, who I read heavily when I got into comics, as I said earlier, and then um, I am so over Batman. Like Batman has zero interest to me. Uh, like I, I read all the interesting stuff, but I think that the re- the problem is is that there's stuff that uh, I can delve into that is the like the monthly comic stuff that I didn't like. The only monthly comic stuff I really read was uh, um, Nightfall. Aside from that, like mm. even though they may have been released as monthly comics, like uh, the Long Halloween or um, you know stuff like that, uh, they were they were made for trades. Like they weren't made for yeah. you know, monthly. So. I think there's some stuff I could do there. Like, I see covers of old comics, and they're interesting. Um, Wonder Woman I want to delve more into. Superman I'm, I'm trying delving more into. Uh, I did a podcast with Glenn recently, uh, and we we talked about, like, collecting and kind of in general. But he's a huge Superman fan, so I've been reading some stuff uh, and hope to do a little bit more with him. Uh, there's definitely some stuff I want to check out. Like, I feel like the stuff that I feel like I don't like, it's because I haven't found the right thing, not because there's not good stuff. Uh, Iowa Joe's last question is, Punk's best okay. front person? Oh, uh, this is, this is, this is, to me, is a hard question, because it's, it's hard for me to not just answer it as my favorite best front person, rather than, like, who I think is the best and then it's hard to like split out because like, I've, I've gone to a lot of punk shows and 
I've seen a lot of just crazy frontman stuff. Like one thing that always stands out to me is um, Felix Havoc from Code 13, which was a little kind of like hardcore band in the late 90s, early 2000s. I saw a show in Mission Records in San Francisco, which is like about twice the size of my office here. And he in the middle of the song while singing it jumped on some guy's back rides him around the (laughs) room like a bull then jumps onto one of the columns in the middle of the room climbs up it and hangs upside down from like a beam coming off of it from the roof to finish singing his song like how is that not just an awesome frontman punk rock performance like that's that's just killer but i mean i don't think many people really know like about him or that band so but like in terms of like big people i would be split between henry rollins um angelo biafra and also maybe ian mckay not as a front man what they did during the music but as a front man for what his kind of beliefs for and and what he did uh with discord records and and kind of making punk happen and pushing punk rock to happen so before but i like henry rollins i think it's hard to argue with with him and who he is and and what he's become uh, how he's kind of stuck stayed true to that punk rock idea but also grown up and evolved with it as well like i, I mean if you, if you look at him over his entire career, I think it's hard to say anyone but Henry Rollins. Um, plus, just like the Henry Rollins era of Black Flag is so brutal and good. Are you a punk rock fan? So, before I got into underground hip-hop, I was into punk rock. Uh, it was a shorter-lived than you know my ongoing love with hip-hop. But uh, I got really into some stuff, but I didn't find the same kind of depth. And I think it was kind of more like not having people to influence me in the right direction. I really loved Rancid. Um, I really loved Less Than Jake, which I know is like you know more Scottish. Uh, I was actually talking with a buddy of mine uh, just the other day, like they're re-releasing Tony Hawk One and Two remastered, and um, yeah. the Goldfinger song Superman. I love that song. I love Goldfinger. Um, I guess like I mean frontman for me, like you hit the kind of more critical people, of course. Um, for me, like I, I think you kind of hit on the the showmanship angle. Uh, one of the funnest shows i ever went to was uh the aquabats they performed in my my little my my little crap hole town i grew up in in california and man they put on a show and i think that's what it's about is putting on a show like you got the the front men that are uh, you know really political or you got the guys who like really put on a show and those are kind of the two things you look for so that was good uh one of the things stood out to me about rancid was i saw them in the warp tour um when I graduated high school, they were headlining with Pennywise, and during their set, somebody got hurt in you know, like you know like moshing in the crowd or whatever. They stopped performing until they got the person who got hurt out of there, which basically cost like half their set, which sucked. But I really respected it because like they cared more about people than just about you know going out and doing the status quo. Um, but Rancid's always kind of been like, as far as my like less ska, more just like straight up punk. Like they've been one of my kind of front runners. One of the best shows I ever went to, which wasn't a ton, but um, there was a really good show where I grew up. Once again, small town crap hole venue. 
Uh, it was uh, strung out headlining, and Pulley uh, was one of the opening acts. And I actually went because of Pulley because I had discovered them from the Punkorama CDs and really liked them. Um, and it, to me, that was one of the fun things about punk was like, I mean, I lived in Lancaster, California. Like, little town. This venue was oh, yeah, you super did, yeah. tiny. And I saw some really cool people f- perform there. But that's also the same kind of venues where my friends that got me in underground hip-hop, they were performing at and stuff like that. So, like, there was it's kind of like a lot of cool stuff associated with it. And I think it comes down to, like, that, like, you know, who is there to support the art, support the, the music, and then, like, also to kind of support, like, social means. Um, you definitely had a better answer than me, though, like, as far as what actually matters. Uh, last little round of questions here. Well, well I think... Uh... For for rap to you, that's what punk rock is. To yeah, me. that's exactly what it was. Like yeah. I got caught up in the underground hip hop stuff, Sage Francis, Soul, Idea, um, Buck sixty five, like a lot of like super creativity, um, more more like uh, social and political stuff. Um, Saul Williams is one that stands out to me lyrically. Um, yeah, exactly, and that's why the underground hip hop resonated with me. Like, I, I've definitely learned that the uh, the beat of underground hip hop, like the drum breaks and stuff like that, like musically, like when you just boil it down to it, musically, what draws you in? Like people who are into rock, like they're usually guitar, right? You know, like I think it's that like the the drum, the bass, like that's the stuff musically that I like. And then like I think about you know songs that I've liked, like uh, uh, Bare Naked Ladies one week right it's like uh mm-hmm. uh rap turned into singing like they're rapping that whole song like i realized that all the pop music i was into was like really like rapish pop music too interesting so you just kind of like well let's let's cut out the middleman and just go straight to the rap yeah, yeah finally got there <laughs> yeah um <laughs> cool all right last little round of questions we'll do this quick so you get to dinner favorite let's do it favorite obscure comic no one seems to talk about I, I'm I'm gonna go with uh, I have one that I think is pretty darn obscure. Have you ever heard of Strange Haven? Sounds vaguely familiar, but I feel like that's a name that sounds vaguely familiar no matter what. Sure. Okay. It's by Gary Spencer Millage. Uh, it's from the '90s and early 2000s. He put out 18 issues. They're black and white. It's kind of very Twin Peaks-ish about a guy who like ends up in this small town. Uh, can't leave and finds out there's like strange cults and stuff and witches and all sorts of crazy stuff going on around him. Um, and nobody I know has ever read it or even knows what it is. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that that's a pretty uh, easy answer. But I, I'm looking it up and it looks like it was nominated for some like Eisner Awards and stuff back in the 90s. So like it, it's one of those that I think just never really caught on as a big major thing, but I really liked it when I read it. I think for me, it would probably be something that's a little more art based. Um, and I can't say I've read a ton of it because usually like money can kind of get in the way, uh, especially timing wise of when I was exposed to it. Um, nightmare of the rat by Rafer Roberts. Uh, Rafer did stuff with Valiant. Uh, I think that's where I kind of started knowing his name, but like artistically, is always where he's appealed to me more. Like I like the the really funky, creepy, monstery kind of vibe he has with everything. So I, 
I've gotten a handful of commissions. Like I, I, you know, I can't afford original art, um, not very well at least. Uh, so I, I've gotten a handful of commissions over time because, like, the thing with a commission is it's definitely cheaper than original art because you know original art has more value because it's published. It's obscene. Yeah. But uh, you can also kind of get what you want, right? So the first piece I ever got by Rafer Roberts was I got to know him because he started doing stuff with Valiant. And we interviewed him, and he was just the nicest freaking guy. Like, I love him as a person. And I saw his art, and I liked it. And I asked him to do a bebop and rock steady for me. Oh, he would be perfect for that. Perfect, yeah. So he's perfect for it. Like, I've had two people do do just a straight-up bebop and rock steady for me. I've also had uh, J.K. Woodward, who I mentioned earlier, he did uh, an homage to the Broken Bat with Bane breaking Batman's back. Uh, with Rocksteady breaking Donatello's back. Uh, that's one of my favorite mm, things. Cool. Uh, definitely the best thing he's ever created, in my opinion. Some people may disagree. But, um, but yeah, so Rafer Roberts, like, I really dig his art style. It's, like, really out there and creepy and crazy. And, uh, like, did did you get into, like, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Like, you you got to be the right age. Like, you love that movie, right? No, not really. Oh, you suck. Actually. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's. I've never been. I don't know that one. I don't know if I've ever even seen it all the way through. Okay, so I have to watch Star yeah. Wars. You have to watch that. All right, we've got homework. I got really into Hunter S. Thompson because of his writing, because it's very challenging, out there, crazy, wild. But Ralph Steadman was an illustrator, so like the art for uh, you know, he illustrated some of uh, Hunter Thompson's books, and the movie has influences from his art. He's done a lot of other stuff, but I got like I was really intrigued by that kind of like wild out there art, and like Ray for Roberts is is like that. It's very different. One of the things that I think had a little bit of traction was the uh, the carpool buddies of Doom, and it's like Thanos and uh, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, I was just gonna say like that's what uh, was my introduction to him and his work, and I love that. That was hilarious. Yeah, that stuff is just so cool, and like. Uh, he wrote Archer and Armstrong, or, you know, like, A-plus-A, like, the second uh, run of Archer and Armstrong. But he did the uh, the bootleg comic as, like, an ash can or whatever, like, you know, a promo material. Mm-hmm. And that shit was the best. Like, it was so good, you know? So, I guess that's my best answer for that. Like, I, I don't think I have a ton of, uh, you know, really indie comic cred, but, like, that definitely stood out there. Sounds good. Favorite place to buy comics as a kid? Uh, the comic store. <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously, right? <laughs> comics are us. Didn't you buy them that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh, Ralph's Comic Corner. That's where I bought comics in Ventura, California, back in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. The first store I bought from was Basis Cards and Comics. This is a store that I went to, I was talking about with um, uh, Green Arrow and Daredevil. They still exist. Mm-hmm. They're in a different location. I went there again. It wasn't the same experience. Um, but obviously, like, I was just visiting. And, like, all I can look for now, like, my hope is to find, like, cool back issues or, like, you know, dollar bins. And, you know, I mean, you're only going to find so much of that. Um, but they were a good store. Like, I, I enjoyed them then. Um, the other store I went to a little bit in California, actually, was uh, Andy Ligel, who worked for Valiant. Uh, if you were really into mm-hmm. Valiant, like, you probably got to know who he was. He bought the comic shop that was the last shop I went to in California, Brave New World Comics in Santa Clarita. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. like, that's kind of cool. Um, 
I didn't buy much comics as a kid. Uh, my favorite store, like I guess if you say when I broke into care, really, really caring about comics, was Coast City Comics, which is an amazing store. Like not only do they have new comics, they have shit tons of back issues. They got quarter bins. I got hundreds of issues of Valiant when I got into that for a quarter a pop. No, take that back. Oh, nice. Twenty cents a pop because it was five for a dollar. Um, tons of toys, pinball machines, like. Awesome shop. Uh, Tristan also uh, screen prints his own shirts. He's got a ton of awesome designs. Like, everything you could hope for in a comic shop is this place. Like, it is just amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. So, that's my favorite place I ever bought comics at. Uh, and, yeah, I, I I love them to death. I bought some stuff through them, uh, through the, the whole COVID thing, just to try to help support. But they were doing... They were staying pretty busy. Like, I kept on telling Tristan, like, ignore me until you, like, don't have orders to fill. But I want to, like, support when I can. That's cool. Simplest chore that became the most complicated because your family helped. Uh, can I take a pass in case my <laughs> wife actually listens to this? Right? <laughs> this, this sounds like a trap <laughs> to me. <laughs> as, as an adult with a child, uh, anything your child helps with is the simple answer oh yeah i'm sure yeah i it's just me and my wife so we don't have kids yet so it's we don't have yeah. the 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 child complication to things. all i can say about this one because i don't have a like a solid answer for it but it really goes to show that incredible patience is how you teach people stuff and you know if if your child is helping you with something boy does it take incredible patience because you go a lot faster but you teach them how to be a better person by showing them those things yeah, that's true. I understand that. My uh, my nephew, I helped him with a school project where it was something that I could have done on my own in like an hour. And it took us about 10 hours <laughs> to do it together. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Just, just let me do it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But I knew like I had to let him do it so he could learn. You know, that was the whole point. Yeah, that so, was like me trying yeah, to help my my sister with math. Uh, I've always been a math whiz and trying to help my younger sister with math when she's like, oh, well, why don't you just do it? Like, no, damn it. <laughs> you're the worst. If you're such a math whiz, what's the best number? What's the best number? Yeah. Uh, see, I feel like <laughs> you have a, really a preloaded answer question. for this. Um, <laughs> no, I actually, it was just a really <laughs> stupid question. <laughs> uh, the best number is three. Oh, that's a, it's a very magic number. Yeah, it is the magic number. Yeah. Yeah, you're Get right. Yeah. Soul. Mace plug you got it, it. yeah. Magic number. D-E-F. It's the deaf number. Um, your, your math question just went so hip-hop. Uh, I know. <laughs> I didn't even know it. <laughs> so, a little tangent here. Uh, De La Soul is definitely my favorite hip-hop group. Uh, you can't buy any of their music anymore because Tommy Boy won't release it because of copyright laws, because of the advent of streaming services, uh, changing the whole, like how everything works. And it pisses me off so much because I don't actually own any of their music and it is the best shit ever. It would seem like on the internet, you would be everything's on the internet you can't legally it like... obtain it it's not streaming okay you can't buy it digitally 
Their CDs are out of print. Records out of print. Everything is out of print. Sometimes you got to take the law into your own hands. Yeah, I mean, I can get my hands on listening to it. Like, it's still on my iTunes that doesn't want to work with my uh, iPhone because what the hell, Apple? Um, but yeah, seeing as you are in, uh, you know, Los Angeles, California and have access to stuff, if you ever find De La Soul stuff, um, yeah, keep it in mind. Um, what is the most underrated eighties comic and why is it Atari force? I feel like this is a leading question. What would make you, (laughs) what part of it is leading? (laughs) Well, let's see. Did it, did Atari force ever cross over with X-Men? That that would be my question. Wasn't our Atari Um, force, uh, DC? I mean, they did do crossovers between DC and Marvel, which is like just crazy. Yeah, I think to think it was about nowadays. Um, you know, just recently, I I heard somebody saying like I think somebody was selling in a whole run of Atari Force, and they're like, actually, it's surprisingly not that bad. So <laughs> I, I I've never read it myself, but you know, it's if it's not just a collection of characters awesome. from Atari games fighting each other, then I I don't want to know. I, I can't even name a character from an Atari game. <laughs> the dragon from uh, that one game that didn't look like a dragon because it was very pixelated. Adventure. Or I guess E.T. E.T. from the <laughs> E.T. game. Yeah, okay. Oh, damn you, Kirk. What are you doing to us? Uh, my most underrated 80s comic is going to be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because it can never be rated properly because it is the best thing that's ever existed. Um because that's pretty highly rated. It's, it's really highly rated. <laughs> um, so the the first Ninja Turtle movie at the time it was released was the highest grossing independent movie of all times. That's my little factoid. Wow. Um, I think act, like actual my what I think would be the most underrated '80s comic. <sighs> Man, I'm having a hard time thinking about. Of what that it's might hard be. for me because I'm barely getting into rated 80s comics. Like, okay, <laughs> I, I've read X-Men. What's next? You know, like, uh, then, you know, what I run into Power Pack, I'm like, no, screw that shit. Nope, nope, nope. Don't need to read about kids with superpowers. Um, yeah, I I don't know what else. Like, I'm definitely of the... the uh, I didn't start reading comics really until the, like, late 2000s. So 80s and 90s... I don't want to read the stuff that wasn't good. So it's not like there's this like stuff that was underrated that, you know, I liked because I read it and didn't really matter. Like, I don't know. Like now there's some stuff like, I don't know, like uh, six gun gorilla was fun. You know, is Simon Spurrier released by boom. I read that when I was starting getting into comics and it was fun. It was, you know, like I don't think it caught too many people's attention. I don't think things can catch your radar as being underrated unless you read them when they were coming out and you didn't really care about whether they were good or not. You were just reading stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, sure. There you go, Kirk. Think about your questions next time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Kirk. You've been officially reprimanded. <laughs> His last question is anyone else remember fudge jumbles? And I don't know what the hell those are. So that's up to you. Well, let's see what Google <laughs> says about fudge jumbles. Uh, what? It looks like it's just like, it's like cookies. <laughs> it's like, it, it's not even like a product. It's like, here's like, like Betty Crocker's recipe for fudge jumbles or recipes.com 
recipe for fudge jumble. So, uh, no. Yes, Kurt. No, I'm sorry. I remember eating cookies back when I could eat cookies. Thanks for rubbing that. Yeah, so, yeah, I remember cookies. Yeah, they were, they were, those cookies were really good too, I'll tell you. So, uh, as we wrap up, because uh, I know you have dinner waiting for you, what was the first comic that got you into comics? G.I. Joe issue 85. Are you reading uh, IDW G.I. Joe? I haven't been recently. I've read uh, all, some of the earlier stuff. Most of my back issue reading now is all X-Men. It's I'm just slowly working my way through all of X-Men. And I'm in kind of like the early 90s right now. And that is enough of a chore because I'm not just reading like Uncanny X-Men. I'm reading X-Men and X-Force and X-Factor and Excalibur um, <laughs> and Wolverine and basically every X-Book that exists. Now, are you reading it like, uh, you know, May of 1992, these books came out. You read all of them. Then June, you, know, you read all of them. Are you doing it that way? No, no. No, usually what I do is um, I'll read all the books in a crossover. And then I'll pick a title and I'll read that title up until the next crossover. And then I'll go to the next title and read all of that till the next crossover and then go to the next title and read it to the crossover. Then I'll read that next crossover and I just keep repeating like that. It's a little bit like what I've been doing, except the central thread is always Uncanny X-Men. I read the uh, Inferno crossover. I'd picked it up on Comixology, so I read all of it. And Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, it was good, but let me tell you. It bogged shit down big time, like having to read all of the uh, the crossovers. And it's, it's not that they were bad. One thing I'll say, the way they wrote the demons is so obnoxious. Like, demons are not toddlers that, like, talk like toddlers. Like, give, work on your language better. And I read something else well, the, the other day, and I'm trying to remember what it was. I think, it, oh, you know, it was a Superman comic. I actually, I started reading The Death of Superman. And uh, so I'm like barely into it, but the whatever, you know, hell demons from the war universe, same thing. Like the, the way they talk is like babies and that's stupid. Yeah, well, they don't know English good. Goo <laughs> <laughs> gaga. Yeah, um, I don't think they tried very hard to like come up with how somebody who doesn't know English would talk. Like maybe they should like look at, you know, other, you know, ethnicities how i don't know like I, I feel like they could do better like actually like research a little bit but um yeah so like inferno was good um so uh new mutants new mutants i have bought a bulk of the run of new mutants like four times now every time i buy it mm. i get a bunch i find somebody that really wants it i sell it to them and okay. then i find it again <laughs> for a really good deal and i buy it and then I sell it to somebody else. So I believe I just bought a, a chunk of New Mutants, like, up through the uh, Bill Sinkovich covers uh, for, like, I think the fourth time now. And I think I've run out of people to sell them to. Uh, so maybe I'll actually it's keep them. It's your time. Yeah, but, like, I, I dig the, the New Mutants. Like, um, Ileana, when I, so when I started reading the X-Men was the Uncanny X-Men, like I said, where, you know, after Schism, and she was a prevalent character in that. So she's always stood out to me. So, like, I've always been interested in her, and I've liked her in the New Mutants. Uh, reading through Inferno and seeing her, like, really fight with being a demon, basically, you know, like, was interesting. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm super intrigued by the New Mutants. And, I like, the more stuff I read, like, I read some of the, uh, they just recently had some new issues with, like, Chris Claremont and uh, 
I think Bill Sinkovich did the the art for that one issue that they did. Like they've been doing like yep. the like kind of throwback one shots. Um, like that was good, and it's been getting me a lot more interested. I read a little bit of the the new run of New Mutants. Um, so yeah, so like I bought um, a handful of issues through like I don't know the thirty ish range. Pretty much everything that wasn't a key issue was available for a buck, so I, I grabbed those. Yeah, I'm interested in diving more into the, the New Mutants now, and uh, it's good. <laughs> X Factor and X Force. We'll 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 cross that bridge another time. All right. Well, you'll get there eventually. Yeah. All right. All right. I, I need to wrap this because my wife is, I, I told her like half an hour ago that we probably had about 10 minutes to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell your wife, thank you. You tell her that uh, she should appreciate that somebody finally gave you an outlet to your, uh, you know, podcasting urges. Finally. Finally. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. Like I've really, uh, I've always enjoyed talking to you, even though it's been a long time. So I'm glad that we had this opportunity and uh, we'll see what comes in the future. Yeah, we should do it again sometime. So, huh? Yeah, we'll see uh, anybody listening to this crap. Uh, you'll either listen to it on one of Sean's feeds or on whatever the hell my feed is. But we might make this a thing. So if you think it should be a thing, you should probably tweet us and tell us you liked it. So Sean is on Twitter yes. at Bad Deacon. I am on Twitter. That's me. At Who's Paul. Uh, so tweet us if you liked this. Um, and you might, you know, stoke our egos and make us think that we should do it again, seeing as we're two of the most uh, prodigious, valiant podcasters of all time. I got to say, you and I are probably the two best valiant podcasters that have ever existed. Well, I don't want to brag, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> I mean, you got the history and I got the I, I definitely have the shock value. There you go. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, you have a good night. Enjoy your dinner. Well, I mean, and I will catch you later. Yeah, dude.